Welcome to the Insider Safe Place for Men podcast show. Because every male survivor deserves hope, healing, support, and a BMW. And here's your male survivor, leadership coach, and hypnotherapist. All right, what's up, what's up, everybody? All right, it's been a while. Here you are on the Insider Safe Place for Men podcast, right? This is Coach T, Coach T-Bell and Coach Thomas, whatever you want to call, coming from Sacramento, California. All right, so those of you that keep up with this, you're like, okay, T, what's up? It's like 4, 16 a.m. in the morning on a Friday morning, what are you up doing this podcast on? Well, you know, I just, you know, you get some of those times where you just can't sleep. And I'm like one of those individuals where, okay, instead of lay there in bed, I'm like, I got to get up and I have to to do something. I don't know. And that's when I get a lot of my work done. And I'm like, okay, if I need to, I can take a nap, whatever, at <laughs> some time during the day. But man, this is just... Um, I don't say it's just on my mind, but it's like, I don't know, maybe since spring is here now, and of course the weather is getting warm here in, in Sacramento, we're starting to get back up into the, you know, 80s, and then I think it's supposed to be close to 90, whatever, uh, this week, and you know, and I call home in Chicago and stuff, I'm like, oh yeah, we're still at 10, 20, <laughs> whatever degrees, and so, I don't know, maybe the weather's doing something to my my rhythms uh, in my body that it's like, okay, let's just get up and let's just start going. Cause I know when summer gets here, then you're going to want to do your stuff way before 10 o'clock in the morning. And then you can probably get out in the evening, like maybe after nine or something. That's if you don't want to cook, if you don't want to roast. So maybe my body's taking advantage of this time right now. All right, guys, it's been a while, uh, a little bit of a while, but I just want to share with you, of course, things are, you know, uh, kind of opening up a little bit. So we're going to be doing our um, in-person workshop retreat. The first one's coming up July 7th through the 9th. All right. It's going to be here in Sacramento, um, uh, here actually at my place. And so uh, we're going to do that. So if you are interested, you've started this journey, you want to start connecting, you know, with other guys that are dealing with same things. Um, you want to talk about some of the issues, issues that you probably don't have too much of an opportunity to talk about in other places and still get that support, feel like you're not judged, know that you are loved. And this is the place to be the safe place for men um, workshop retreat. And it usually takes place over a kind of a three-day period. So we start Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday. And so then that gives you an, an opportunity because oftentimes people, you know, they come and then they have to make, go back to work. So, you know, you get that Sunday to to relax, you know, back home and just time to start integrate back into life. But oftentimes, you know, guys say it's like, man, it's like going to the, to the mountaintop. And then when I get home, it's like, man, you know, it's a little bit hard because you were surrounded around this group of men that support you. They understand you and then like to go back home. It's like, oh, man, I wish I could be there. And that's just part of that's part of the process. But it is a great one to experience. You know, and it's interesting when we talk about COVID people. Of course, people are sick and tired of COVID. Um, 
And some people have been doing like their workshops and stuff virtually. And I have asked them like, well, how's that? How's that going? How's that working for you? They're like, yeah, you know, it's nice, but it's just not the same. And you're right. It is not the same because we are wired when we talk about wired for community. And uh, those of you that have done, you know, the neuroscience study and the biology, there's even different hormones and things that are released when we're actually in the physical proximity and company of each other. And so um, it's great that, you know, we've had this opportunity to do remote, but I'm just going to share with you, if you were to try and do remote all the time, I think it would really be detrimental to you. There's something about that social interaction and face-to-face that is just wired in us. And we actually do get faster, more accelerated, and better results when we do. So for those of you that believe that, believe the neuroscience, and you're like, yep, I'm just, I'm just ready. I'm ready to meet with a, a group of guys and, and to start working on some of these things July 7th through the 9th. And like I said, it's going to be here in Sacramento. So what does it look like? Uh, there'll only be, I do small groups, right? Because we just get the best, I'm going to say we get the the best um, interaction with the small group. So there'll, there'll be maybe eight or nine at the most. And one of the reasons that I do it at my place, okay, if you know California prices, they're not cheap, right? And so um, what I usually do is, and not all the times, if I can find an, a, a nice place where we can, like a lodge or something, uh, we might try it. But uh, one of the reasons I'm going to just do it here at my place, because I've got, you know, the bedrooms and stuff, and and it kind of like, you know, so I've got like bunk um, set up in each of the different rooms. So you got whatever, two people, whatever per room, is because... If we were to do it the other way, and sometimes we do, and you, if you want to get a hotel, you can, but just realize that's going to be like 200 bucks or more per night. That's the prices that are going on around here. And so what I do is um, I try to help absorb that cost by just opening up my home uh, for that. And uh, a lot of guys actually, they like it. And that's because a lot of the magic and stuff happens, you know, during off hours when we're just talking or sitting back and relaxing those different type of uh, things which you wouldn't be able to do in a hotel because you would just go back to your room and that would be it. So uh, for those that would like to be face-to-face in person, uh, July 7th through the 9th. All right, got to give a, a shout out here to Justin. Justin, thank you so much. So Justin is a young aspiring actor, I'm going to say, um, there in the uh, D.C. and New York area. And he has a play that he's actually doing. I think it is in May, and I'll get more information when I find out. But uh, he's doing a play, and in the play, uh, as an actor, he's representing a male survivor, male survivor of sexual abuse. And it's, it's, he was explaining to me, um, you know, the play a little bit and just kind of this wild ride. I'm like, wow. I'm like, some of the stuff that you're, you're, you know, you're hitting and you're talking about, are the things that we as male survivors just like deal with sometimes on this crazy ride. And, and um, so what he did was he interviewed me and he wanted to make sure that his character was, you know, authentic, understanding some of the pieces behind male, you know, survivors. And, you know, we were talking about some of the behaviors that we might experience and just depending on where we are, and we, we were talking about, and I was just sharing with him some of the stories that I've had of, you know, individuals and their reactions and, and behaviors and 
as they were sharing with me the story, I'm like, wow. I'm like, that's that's how a lot of it, you know, actually happens or manifests for for people. So it's, I think it's going to be an awesome, an awesome play. And uh, Justin, I hope it makes it to Broadway. And, and it's interesting because uh, as he was interviewing me, he says, oh, he says, I don't know if you know this because he says, I've been listening to the podcast and he says, yeah, the name of the character is T. I'm like, yo, that's me. And uh, so as he was talking about some of the things that this character experiences, I'm like, yeah, he's rightfully named T. But um, uh, Justin, really excited for, for that. Feel free to reach out if you want to, you know, talk to him anymore to share. That's going to help you as you try to pr portray that role of, of this, this one individual, you know, as they were struggling with their uh, sexual abuse and some of the things. And he's like, it is a wild ride to some of the stuff. So um, close to true life. All right, guys. So today I'm just going to talk a little bit about this. And I've, um, I say run into this and eh, not lately. It's just, it's a part of, of, you know, the coaching, but it's been coming up a little bit. And so we're going to just talk a little bit about betrayal trauma. You know, and I think this is this is important because when we think about, you know, our sexual abuse and the things that have happened to us, betrayal is one of the forefront things that is there that we experience. But oftentimes we don't really talk about it because it's just it's just a normal um, part of the, the sexual abuse is like the betrayal happens, but we really don't deal with it. And um, so when we think about betrayal trauma, First, it's going to be the result, of course, of some type of, of a violation, you know, from a, a, a deep attachment. So where the abuse or neglect of the individual uh, happens, but that's because you depend on, I'm going to say, the care or the attachment for your safety and well-being. And this really applies to to those, especially when the abuse happens during childhood. So when you have the childhood abuse, so including whether it be, you know, physical, sexual abuse, and then thrown in there is all the emotional, the manipulation, uh, verbal abuse, those different type of things, then we're going to say that that's going to be part of the actual trauma. Now, betrayal trauma, we're going to say that it, it differs vastly, you know, just from different types of other traumas, because it involves not just the experience of the abuse, but also the experience of being betrayed by this key person or individual or relationship. And so it could be a caregiver, it could be a guardian, uh, it could be a parent, and it could even be you know, a significant uh, other or just an individual that you've relied upon for safety, that you've relied upon for support. And because, because the victim, the survivor, is frequently reliant upon the perpetrator to actually meet, I'm going to say, their physical needs, uh, their mental needs, emotional needs. What happens then is we often uh, adapt that behavior in order to maintain the relationship. And so oftentimes, um, I think I did the, the podcast when we were talking about, you know, why do I feel like I still love my perpetrator or something like that? Well, oftentimes that could be part of the betrayal trauma. And so this individual, like I said, especially when it happens during childhood, this is the person, the caregiver, the guardian, the significant other that you've had to rely upon for support and safety. And so think about that over the years. 
And then finally, we're at the point where maybe the abuse has been exposed or, you know, we're working on it. And so that betrayal is there and it makes it difficult because of that relationship. And so what often happens when we talk about this is we might develop what we call cognitive dissonance. Okay. It's a big word, but all it means is this. And so it's the ability to hold two conflicting thoughts at the same time. Okay. And so that's, I, we call it, might call it, you know, ambivalence, right? You know, I, this this person, my caregiver, my, you know, I, I love them, but yeah, at the same time, there's this hate of betrayal. And so there's just this cognitive dissonance because we're holding the two conflicting thoughts at the same time. Also, when we talk about betrayal, trauma, it also might develop from what we call minimization, right? And so you guys have heard me talk about this over the years since we've been on the podcast. And so oftentimes when I'm working with individuals, especially if the abuse takes place within that caregiver family environment, Oftentimes, when we're working through it, we do what's known as the minimize and the sanitize. And so that just simply means this. And so as you're sitting there and we're coaching and we're talking about the abuse, what we do is we minimize it. Well, you know, it, it wasn't, wasn't that bad. And then what we do is we sanitize it. We actually clean it up so that we can continue to maintain somewhat of an okay relationship with that perpetrator. Okay, for, for whatever reason, because of the attachment. And so that really can, can make it difficult. I remember we were doing um, uh, one workshop. So let me just talk about a workshop since we got one coming up. And so there was an individual there in the group and he was having a hard time. And so everyone was listening to this individual and as he was, you know, a, explaining, you know, um, what was going on in his life and childhood, it was hard for him, first of all, to even admit that there was sexual abuse that had taken a place. But you could tell by the way that he was describing it that something definitely had happened, but he was describing it in such a way to minimize it, to, to sanitize it, to, to clean it up. And that made it more difficult for him because then he's like saying, well, it happened, but I don't know if it happened, but I do know that it happened. And from all the things that he was explaining, it did happen. But he was minimizing and he was sanitizing because of that relationship, the, the attachment, that part of that betrayal trauma. And then there's what we call um, betrayal blindness. And that's pretty much, that's the failure to actually see the betrayal despite the overwhelming evidence. And that's what he was actually dealing with. And so when we think about um, this form of, I'm gonna say psychological blindness, it's what it is, it's a coping strategy, it's a coping mechanism. And what it does is it protects the individual's mental and emotional safety by blocking out what is just too painful or too frightening to confront, okay? And so, like we said, now we see it in, in many different ways, and especially, like I said, when, when these things happen to us as, as children, we have some of the most, I'm going to say, miraculous, phenomenal coping mechanisms that exist. And that's one of the things that actually helps us to survive. So, you know, let's say, for example, the child, what we might do is we might actually blame ourselves for the parent's bad behavior, or we come up with an explanation that actually helps us to, to feel better about what is happening. And so, um, and it was interesting, I was talking with someone the other day, and we were talking about 
uh, parentification, you know, the idea where the, the parent, because the emotional relationship is not going well with the spouse, will then turn the child into that spouse representation. And so instead of going to their spouse and, and sharing the emotional needs, they're sharing them and expecting the child to actually fulfill them. Okay, and so that's that's a real thing. But sometimes these things happen. So let's just talk a little bit. So what are some of the possible, I'm going to say, um, you know, signs. So you know where we're getting ready to go on this one, guys. So here we go. Consider this your wake-up call. Boom! What was that? Me dropping some knowledge on you. All right, so as we get ready to drop some knowledge on it. So what might be some signs of the be betrayal trauma that maybe we're experiencing um, I'm going to say generally include symptoms of um, post-traumatic stress disorder, such as one if we got the intrusive thoughts. And then remember now, we're talking about this years later, so we're talking about complex post-traumatic stress disorder all fitting into these things. So we're moving it up, I'm going to say, to the C level. So we might have, you know, those intrusive thoughts and images that are there. Um, even the betrayal trauma, you still might be experiencing, you know, some some of the different nightmares or flashbacks, especially if it's an individual like who was in the family. I, I, I can tell you that, you know, for, for me and, and dealing with this, there were times when I would, you know, I mean, years later and, you know, I still would have these nightmares and stuff of my father. And man, in, in these dreams, I'd just be like so angry at him, right? And it was so, and I could feel that anger in the dream, even though you knew it was a dream because my brain was still working out, you know, you know some of those those issues. Um, of course, betrayal, trauma, avoidance behaviors, and I want to say, you know, especially, I say avoidance behavior. One that we really use a lot, I'm going to say, is the social withdrawal, and that is where you know we're in. Uh, especially if it occurs within, I'm going to say, you know, family, siblings, where every, it's the elephant that's in the room, right, that no one talks about. And so we avoid, we avoid maybe the social interactions, the cookout or, or whatever, those different type of things. Um, I'm going to say other betrayal trauma, of course, you know, hypervigilance, right? So Still, you're constantly scanning your environment for potential threats, and it just, man, it's just, uh, it's so exhausting. I just, when I think about, you know, some of my uh, past issues and things, it's just, just so exhausting. Of course, fearfulness, um, feeling that emotional numbness. And then the thing is, when all these things are going on and taking place, we need to realize that also sometimes these are um, manifested in physical symptoms. So, you know, you can't explain like, man, why am I having these tension headaches or, or migraines or fatigue? Well, all these different things, stress hormones, mental, they're also affecting the body, right? And so you're one unit. And so one thing affects another thing. And so I'm going to say, though, betrayal trauma is probably unique when we think about the traumas um, in that it involves, I'm going to say, the intense feelings of shame that are associated with the act of being abused or violated. And that's that's one of the issues. And for those of you that decide to come, we're, man, in the workshop, we really pound out the whole shame, humiliation, whatever. And it's just one of the um, things that people always say, man, it was great that we actually, we did that. Because that's one of the things when we're talking about betrayal that we need to get out there. And so then what happens is, 
uh, if you've experienced, I'm going to say the, the betrayal trauma, you're going to suffer from things like shame and guilt and self-blame. You're going to have pieces of depression. Now, you might not have what's known as clinical depression, and I've kind of made a distinction between those two. I mean, in the previous podcast, most of the individuals that come to the workshop, they're dealing with what we call subclinical depression, right? And there's a whole different, if you want to call it, diagnosis for clinical depression, but a lot are dealing with what we call subclinical uh, depression, which then actually feeds into the feelings that we have. And once we get to the third level, it, it continues to loop, 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 and it creates what's called what we call the subclinical um, depression. You know, we're dealing, of course, with the um, low self-esteem, self-worth, the, the negative beliefs about uh, ourselves and others, just thinking that I'm not worthy or everyone is dishonest, right? And a lot of that also runs into, remember, you guys know what my, my master's thesis was on, right? And so when the sexual trauma disrupts those developmental stages while we're growing, we get stuck in those stages. And so a lot of those come through as an adult because we're stuck in those stages. That's something else that we deal with at the workshop too. And so, uh, you know, as, as a child, we often go through the stages of black or white. And it's so, I mean, as when you watch it as a kid, it's so, it's funny. It doesn't work well when you're stuck in that, right, as an adult, but we see everything as black and white. So it's like little kids when you start, you know, first explaining things to them. Whoever that authority figure is in their life that tells them, hey, you know what? The grass is purple. And they might just be playing a game. The little kid will go around and they tell they turn blue in the face and you try and tell them, no, you know, honey, the, the grass is really green. I'm like, no, it's purple because that's what they've been told. Everything is black and white. And oftentimes when we're stuck in those developmental stages because the sexual traumas has disrupted that, we actually stay in that. And so well, what does that look like for us as survivors? Well, let's just say, for example, uh, my perpetrator was of male gender. So guess what that happens in that developmental stage? You can't trust any guys. You can't trust any men. And so then it makes, us, it, makes it difficult for us to develop relationship with other guys. Whoa, you're like, whoa, this sounds familiar. If it does, then you need to get yourself to the workshop retreat <laughs> July, all right, 7th through the 9th. And then not only do we have, I'm going to say, these negative beliefs about, you know, self and other. Of course, we have unexpected mood swings. And we have a difficulty regulating emotions. And, of course, one of the reasons is because oftentimes we're afraid to actually express those emotions. Now, let me tell you, if you do come to the workshop, we're going to be doing some exercises on that, too, and helping us to actually regulate those different things. And so, you know, when we're talking about this betrayal, you know, trauma, and we talk about, you know, feeling distrustful and hypervigilant about whom you can actually depend on, then this is going to result, of course, in your inability to trust. You're going to have difficulty maintaining relationships and allowing others to become close to you. You're going to have difficulties with intimacy, okay, um, and difficulty in actually believing in your own decision-making ability. Now, if you're the individual, you're like, man, why do I just find it hard to make a uh, decision, okay, in, in general? Well, that could be one of the, um, I'm going to say, one of the aftermath issues of the sexual abuse, the betrayal 
trauma that you're having a hard time. And then, of course, you know, just the regular stuff, dissociation that we might be dealing with. All right. So when we're talking about uh, can we actually, you know, reclaim, you know, we always say recover. I don't know. Recovers like where everything goes back to normal. I kind of look at it from the perspective we're reclaiming. Right. And so we're trying to get back pieces of things that were there because we can maybe never totally get back all the pieces like recover, recover, but we can reclaim, we can own it for ourselves. But when we're talking about, you know, although betrayal trauma, it can be painful. It's definitely life changing. There are some tools and strategies that we can use to help us to begin to reclaim our life. And the, and the first one of the first strategy is just simply this acknowledge instead of avoid. Okay. So accepting that we've been betrayed is the first step to overcoming the betrayal trauma. And so those people who are experiencing betrayal blindness, like we said, tend not to see their own trauma because it can actually be too overwhelming. Okay. And painful to acknowledge that something has happened. So in order to cope with these feelings, what people do is they often just go into avoidance mode by, like we said, minimizing, sanitizing, pretending that it never happened, checking out of life, right? And so then that can put us into, like we said, the subclinical uh, depression. Sometimes we use substance abuse, other things to cover it up. And, you know, I'm going to say as hard as admitting the truth might be, avoiding or denying it, it only prolongs and it actually increases the stress, the anxiety, and the pain. But when you acknowledge the betrayal, and I'm going to say even more powerful, you guys say, I know I'm hyping up the workshop here, but yeah. But when you can acknowledge that betrayal, and I'm going to say in the presence of others who support you, who understand some of those feelings, what it feels like, it is powerful because it empowers you to become proactive in reclaiming your life in this process. And so um, you, you might be able to, to actually use the, the trauma of betrayal as an opportunity for personal growth. And also to, I'm gonna say to implement some safety measures that actually help you to prevent future harm because it's gonna come up, uh, come up again in other areas. I'm gonna say the second strategy is to make sure that you understand the betrayal trauma triggers. Right now, we've talked about this before, and as I was talking with Justin, I was trying to explain to him a little bit about, about the triggers. And, you know, triggers can be anything. They can be sounds, they can be sights, they can be smells, they can be sensations or thoughts, whatever, that remind you of that traumatic event. And so betrayal trauma triggers can take many forms just depending on your unique history. And so those betrayal, well, betrayal trauma um, can be triggered when you're reminded, let's say, of the initial situation of the betrayal, um, what was said, um, what was done, or, you know, how you felt. And there's just some common reminders of the trauma, you know, that might even include the, the people that are involved, especially if it happened within family. You're sitting there at Thanksgiving dinner, right? You're still in the, with this place. We've never talked about it. It's been avoided, right? And so that could be definitely a big trigger. I'm going to say that the, the third strategy when we're talking about, you know, uh, overcoming this, it's not just understanding the betrayal trauma and trigger, but I'm going to say the practice of accepting and actually naming your emotions. And this is the big one. And this is one that we, 
um, do at the, the workshop, practically every workshop that we hold, because this is really important. Because when we when we hear the word betrayal, it can it bring up a lot of negative emotions. So you might feel ashamed, you might feel furious, you might feel grieved. And those are the words that I'm using. <laughs> you got to have a big vocabulary for this. So when people experience these intense feelings from that traumatic event, they typically try to make them go away. They try to, to stuff them. So when we talk about accepting unpleasant feelings, it's really important part of actually working through the betrayal trauma. Um, so we're, we're trying to trying to face our feelings head on and acknowledge them as they arise. And so this means that sometimes we need to name them. But you know, oftentimes what I find is, and one of the reasons we do um, this section at the event is that because of maybe when it occurred, our vocabulary is a little bit limited. And so we might have the feelings, but we don't have the words, right? As kids, don't we, we always tell our, our kids, like, use your words, use your words. Well, this is the time when we definitely need to use our words. But the problem is oftentimes we haven't been exposed to the words to use to describe actually what we're feeling. And I just find this to be like one of the, the best, um, I'm going to say, activities that we actually do at the, the workshop. So practice accepting and naming those emotions. And then I'm going to say the fourth strategy, of course, is to take care of take care of our body, right? So taking care of the body entails, you know, everything from like eating well, taking time for yourself. You know, I always tell people get those massages if, if you need them. Um, and because often when we're doing the work, I notice people, they often are, especially, you know, when they're working in therapy and stuff, we're just doing a lot of mental brain work, brain work, mental, mental, mental brain work. And there's no point to actually incorporate that into the whole being, I'm going to say the physical. And so that's one of the reasons, at least when you come to the workshop, we have what's called play, right? And so there's, there's sections where we play because often what I've noticed, and I'm just going to say this is from, from my master's thesis and working in my psychology and counseling and talking about those developmental stages, that's one of the stages that really actually gets disrupted is play. And so now it's being able to go back into that social environment and those social interactions and play because play is the is the aspect where we get to test a lot of things socially. And play is really important. I mean, there's just been books and things that have been written on it. And that all comes in the aspect of taking care of our body. All right, I know I went over time. I usually try and keep it to 20 because the neuroscience says that that's about as long as you have people that are really engaged and then the brain is going off and it's wandering out there somewhere. And so I try and keep it, but okay, so I went to a little bit 30 because I talked a little bit about um, the workshop um, today. But hey, guys, I'm just excited. Thank you. Uh, I don't have any caffeine in my body right now, right? I know it's 4, what, 4, 45, 47, whatever, a.m., and um, I'm feeling good. So, you know, I think since I'm up, I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to go to the gym, and I'm going to actually work out uh, a little bit, do that little um, Planet Fitness, those 30 express, 30-minute, whatever, express little workout. That's where I'm at right now. Yeah, maybe one day I'll, you know, be in for 45, but nah, 30, 30 minutes is good for, for, for me right now. Um, but hey, thanks guys for, for being here, sharing these um, early morning moments 
with me. I really appreciate it. And uh, like I said, once again, shout out to you, Justin. I uh, hope the play goes goes well. I mean, some information I'll post it up on the website. I think you said it's like in May and June. And dude, I, I hope you get to take it to Broadway because it sounds like it's a cool play and um, some good representation there for people just to be able to, to interact and understand some of the things that, you know, male survivors actually you know, deal with. All right, guys, you know the spot, safeplaceformen.com. If you are really interested in the workshop, and I'm going to tell you, like I said, we're only going to have eight or nine guys, so that means it's going to be small. Um, make sure you go up to the website, send me some email, uh, let me know how serious you are about uh, attending, and then I'll give you the logistics on it. Um, you know, I really want to encourage you if maybe this is, you really haven't done too, too much in working on working through the sexual abuse issues as a male survivor. And you're just trying to figure out, man, where can I, where can I start? Uh, I think this is one of the great places uh, to start and being there with another group of men face to face, being able to share your history, share your story in a place where you are supported, in a place where you are not judged. And, and let me tell you, I, I will give you a caveat, a warning there is, and it's not really a warning, but it's like if you do sign up, you have to go through an interview, right? Because I want to make sure that we have the right people in the right place so we're not bringing, you know, um, our judgmental attitudes and stuff. We're going to be open and supportive and and loving because that's what we need in this environment because the whole idea is to create family for you to be able to walk away from these workshop hopefully with a network that you can actually continue to to work with and, and and in the past what happens is you know they'll do two three workshops together they're like okay we did the first one so let's come back and do the second one together and it just creates this wonderful bond of individuals that you have as part of your life. Okay, I'm getting excited here just talking about it. <laughs> I'd love it too. Uh, but once again, July 7th through the 9th, go up to the workshop, go up to the work, go up to the website, uh, send me an uh, email, like I said, if you're interested in attending. And, um, you know, we don't have that much time. June will be July. Yeah, we'll be coming up pretty, pretty soon. And so um, this gives you an opportunity, I'm going to say, to get your ducks and stuff in, in a row and then decide. Now, if, if we get like a big outpouring of people that want to come, I don't know, Justin, maybe you're like I said, you'll do your <laughs> you'll do your play and it'll be all over the place. Uh, you know, then we'll just schedule more on the calendar. All right, guys, I'm looking so forward to um, being with you, those of you that want to come. Like I said, just make sure that you send me email, get more information. We can talk about this, whatever you want to do, because uh, I want you to be, you know, to be comfortable. I want you to be supported. All right, guys, safe place for men. All right. Make sure that you are safe. Be safe. So until our next podcast. All right. Peace out.